Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Mercy and grace. Mercy, as you know, deals with having compassion or forgiveness towards another. Mercy is when God withholds from us that which we deserve. Whenever God withholds from us what you and I know we deserve, that's mercy. Grace, we know that grace is unmerited favor and uncommon ability. Unmerited favor, God's favor on my life. Grace is when God extends to me that which I don't deserve. I deserve judgment, but he doesn't give me judgment. That's mercy. I may not deserve his favor and salvation, but he extends it to me, and that's called grace. Unmerited favor, and then uncommon ability. Uncommon ability. The grace of God is on me to do what I do. And so there's a grace that comes upon you. The mercy seat in the Old Testament, as you look at the tabernacle, the mercy seat is where our understanding of mercy really begins. Now, we've spoke a lot about the mercy seat, about the Ark of the Covenant. As you know, the Ark of the Covenant was 45 by 27 by 27 inches, okay? It's not as big as some people think. 45 inches long, 25 inches deep, or 27 inches deep and 27 inches high. If you go into the historical writings of the Jewish culture and community, the Talmud, you find that they believe that the Ark of the Covenant probably weighed around a thousand pounds. The mercy seat was a lid that sat down on the Ark of the Covenant. As you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, there was the tablets of stone from Moses, Aaron's rod that budded, and the jar of manna that was given to Israel. That lid that sat down upon the Ark of the Covenant was probably, uh, it was, well, well, not probably, it was solid gold. It was very heavy. And that's why the, the entire box weighed, they believe, up to a thousand pounds. I want you to know that those two cherubims that were on the mercy seat, that word cherubim in the Hebrew means guardians of Eden, guardians of the tree of life. You remember when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden uh, of Eden, the cherubims were there with those flaming swords to protect the way to the tree of life. It also means bearers of the throne. The cherubims are the angels that bear the throne of God. And that's why they were on the mercy seat. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, we read, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I want you to notice that we need mercy and we need grace right now in this time of need. These are the two things that we need. And the two cherubims, mercy and grace, on the mercy seat is where God would sit upon his throne to judge the nation of Israel. Now, when you get into the study of the mercy seat, there are different opinions about what those two cherubims represent. I think I've got a good argument to say they represent mercy and grace. 
The, the cherubims, as you know, guys, put the pic back on the screen if you would. The cherubims, as you know, they pointed their, their, their wings inward and they would look down at the mercy seat. And that is where once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and he would sprinkle the mercy seat seven times with the blood of the lamb to redeem the nation of Israel. And they would look down and see that blood, okay? Because they're the ones that protect the way to the tree of life. Now, when their wings were extended, you can tell that they're creating a place for God to sit down upon. This is where his throne of grace would settle down. This was called his seat of mercy. And this is where he would make decisions for the nation of Israel. This is the place where God said to Israel, I will meet you there. This is the place, the mercy seat. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus 25. And let's pick up verses 17 through 22 as we look at this mercy seat, as God was giving instructions to Israel about the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the lampstand, and so forth, the furniture of the tabernacle. But in verse 17, he said, you shall make a mercy seat, notice that, of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall it be its length, and a cubic and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, notice this, of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. There I will meet with you on that mercy seat, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in the commandments to the children of Israel. It is from this place that I will judge the nation of Israel. It is from this place that I will give you instruction, that I will lead you, and I will teach you. We'll title this today, The Mercy Seat. Father, bless the reading of your word and all the church said amen and amen. I want you to understand the centerpiece of God's house. As you look at the tabernacle, as you look at the temple, you can go from the brazen altar to the laver, to the lampstand, to the table of showbread, to the, to the altar of incense, and through the curtain and to the Ark of the Covenant. As you look at this tabernacle on planet earth, which is a model of the tabernacle in heaven, as you look at this, you find the centerpiece of God's house. We find it in verse 19 where he said, you shall take these cherubims, you shall make them as one piece with the mercy seat. One piece. Understand that the centerpiece of Israel is found here. The centerpiece of Israel. What do we consider the holiest city in the nation of Israel? Jerusalem. What is the holiest site in the city of Jerusalem? The Temple Mount. What is the holiest building on the Temple Mount? The Temple. What is the holiest room? The Holy of Holies. And what is the holiest piece of furniture? The Ark of the Covenant covered by the mercy seat. I want you to understand this as you move from the brazen altar to the laver, to the lampstand, to the table of showbread, to the altar of incense, and you pass through that veil and you come into the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top, that is the centerpiece of God's house. 
That is the centerpiece of who he is. Understand, at the very center of God's holiness, we discover the mercy seat. I want that to sink deep down into your spirit and soul. That as we, we study this, we find that at the very center of God's house, at the, the very center of all he does, at the very center of his heart, you find the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. Now notice that the driving force behind that mercy is his love. With which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So I want you to see, driven by his love, there is mercy for humanity and there is grace that is extended to us compelled by his great love God sits on his throne down on the mercy seat and the in the throne of grace to judge mankind I want you to understand that that word judge and judgment are words that disturb us but you need to always remember that when God came to judge Israel, he did it from the mercy seat. He did it from the throne of grace. That's why the scripture said we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Because God sits upon the mercy seat. Mercy. God doesn't want to give us what we deserve. Do we understand that? God doesn't want to give us what we deserve. I remember, and I've mentioned to you before, that when I was younger, I preached really hard. I preached it hard. I, heaven was real and hell was hot. And most of you were not going to make it. I mean, it was hard and heavy. I mean, I remember, I, I preached it hard, 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 hard. That's all I knew. That's how I was raised. We preached it hard. And, and, and you, you can slip into a legalistic mindset if you're not careful. But you need to understand that God doesn't want to give us what we deserve. Do we get that? That God doesn't want to give mankind what he deserves. And grace, God wants to give us what we could never earn. I can never earn salvation and so he gives it to me freely. He withholds what I deserve, but he gives me what I can never earn. We need to understand the very heart and the very character of who God is. This doesn't dismiss sin and the consequences of sin and the judgment that comes. But this reveals to us who God really is. That God judges mankind from the mercy seat, from the throne of grace. It is from there that he withholds from us what we deserve and he gives grace to us that we can never earn. Think of that. Those two cherubims, they point those wings in, their faces down to the mercy seat. And that high priest would come in and he'd sprinkle the blood and they'd see the blood. They'd see the blood. And the blood of the lamb speaks a better word than the blood of Abel that flows in my veins. The blood of Abel cries out. The blood of iniquity is in my veins. But the blood of the lamb speaks a better word. The blood of Abel says, I have to die. But the blood of Jesus says, I'll die for you. It speaks a better word. And he withholds from me what I deserve. But he gives to me what I can never earn. John chapter 3 verse 16. 
For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. Think about that. For God so loved the world. God so loved you and I that he could not help himself. You need to hear that. For God so loves you that he cannot help himself. That God so loves you that he gave his one and only unique son. He gave his all. He gave everything. I'm not talking about houses and land and cars and furniture and property and finances. I'm talking about his very heart. He gave his son. He gave his son the very expression of who he is. He gave his son because he loved you that much. When it comes to you, you need to understand he can't help himself. God can't help himself. That's why salvation is so simple. That even a child, even a child can believe in their heart and confess with their mouth and be saved. God made it as easy as he could. He didn't make it hard. He didn't say you have to do this or that or earn it or work for it or labor for it. He said if you'll just believe in your heart and confess him as your Lord, you'll be saved. That's how easy it is. It, that's how easy it is. It's just so, so easy for even a child can do it. Because God can't help himself. I want you to see this. The centerpiece of his house. The very center of his very being. The very center of who he is. And how he looks at mankind. At the center of all of that is the mercy seat where the throne of grace would settle down. And from there, because of the blood, he would withhold from Israel what they deserved. And then he would give them grace, that which they could never earn on their own. Think of that, the centerpiece of who he is. But look at this mercy seat. Upon it are the guardians of mercy and grace. In verse 20, he said to Israel, and the cherubim will stretch out their wings above. Number one, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. And number two, the faces of the cherubim will be towards the mercy seat. The first thing we saw there is this. When we extend mercy, now listen to me. We're talking about a challenging time that we're in right now. And when we extend mercy and grace, you need to understand that we attract and enthrone the very presence of God. He said to the cherubims, you will extend your wings. You will look, you will look down at the mercy seat and see the blood. They represent mercy and grace. They're the guardians of mercy and grace. They are. They're the guardians of God's word. They're the guardians of God's throne. They're the guardians of the way to the tree of life. And they're there guarding mercy and grace, guarding. You can't get in through religion. You can only get in through mercy and grace. You can't get in through the works of man. You can only get in through mercy and grace. 
You can't get in because you're a good person. You belong to the right political party or you're good to your neighbor or you're good to your dog or you're, it doesn't work. You only get in because of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. That's how we get in. They're the guardians of mercy and grace. And when we extend mercy and grace as they did, we attract, we attract the very presence of God. We enthrone the very presence of God. Psalm 61, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. As we extend mercy and grace in this house, listen to me. As we extend mercy and grace, I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm talking about the mercy and the grace of God. As we extend the mercy and the grace of God in a service like this, we begin to attract the very presence and the very throne of God. God steps in to start to rule. He steps in with that throne zone to bring about righteous judgment in the house. Suddenly, miracles begin to take place. When we, as this people, extend mercy and grace, we must extend the wings of mercy and grace over our city. We must extend it over our city. Understand that we're in a pandemic and people are dying every day. So far in the world is 4.4 million. In the United States, 638,000. In Texas, 55,000. In Jefferson County, 436. So we have to understand that we're in a challenging time right now. And right now, the world needs mercy and grace. And when we extend that to them, when we extend it over our city, we attract God's presence. Cherubim, again, in the, in the Hebrew, means guardians of Eden, guardians of the tree of life, and bearers of the throne. The guardians of Eden become the guardians of mercy and grace, and they guard that way to that tree of life, and they bear up the throne of God. Listen, as we... As we extend mercy and grace over this city, I'm convinced that we attract his presence and his throne settles down in this room. And that throne of grace is there to bring about righteous judgment, to deal with the pandemic, to deal with cancer, to deal with sickness and disease, to deal with the ills of humanity, to deal with the ills of our society. I believe that our Father wants to step into this room and bring about a righteous judgment, to bring about righteous decisions, to bring help to the people of Beaumont in Southeast Texas. As we extend mercy and grace, I believe we attract his presence and we attract his throne. Number two in our text. He said, the faces of the cherubim will be towards the mercy seat. We learn here that we must never look into the perfect law of God without the faces of mercy and grace. 1 Samuel 6, 19, you remember the story that he struck down the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked in the ark of the Lord. They took the, the lid, the mercy seat on that ark. Number one, they had no business in the Holy of Holies and they had no business touching that ark. That was reserved to the high priest once a year on the day of atonement. Only the Levites that were assigned the duty of dismantling the tabernacle got near that ark. They'd run the poles through those rings and they'd bear it on their shoulders with the assistance of God because we believe it weighed a thousand pounds. But those men got curious 
And they went into the Holy of Holies and they took that lid and they shoved it over and they looked down in there and God struck them down and killed them. You can never look into the perfect law of God without mercy and grace covering it. Whenever we do that, we get into religion and we get into legalism and we've been, we, we, we begin to release death into people's lives. It, it's death. It kills people. Death. When we look into the perfect law of God without mercy and grace. The Bible even said, and what the law could not do, and what the law could not do, it brought death. And what the law could not do, the grace of God came and it did. The mercy of God came and it accomplished it. Listen, right now, more than ever, we have to extend mercy to people and be gracious to one another. More than ever, more than ever, we need to show mercy to humanity. There needs to be a compassion. There needs to be a compassion. So everyone that's listened to me on campus, online, we need to lay aside our differences. We need to lay aside our arguments. And we need to show mercy to humanity. We need to show mercy. The other day, I was... We were talking at council and one of the, uh, we were at city hall and uh, one of the council members was sharing with me that he had to go to the hospital one night and he said that there were 25 ambulances backed up, 25, waiting to get into the hospital, waiting for them to find space to get their patient in the hospital, waiting for them to find a room for their patient, waiting, 25. Some of these ambulances will pull up and have to wait four hours, six hours, waiting for a room, waiting for a room. I had a doctor call me last night and he, he said, he said, pastor, I, I, I'm so tired. He said, I'm so tired. He said, the, the, the healthcare workers are working nonstop. The hospitals are jammed. He said, we keep going from floor to floor to floor, creating another floor for the COVID patients. He said, out in the waiting room, there are 30 patients right now just waiting for help. He said, I'm exhausted. I, I, I'm exhausted. Listen, right now, the church has such an opportunity to take the gospel of the good news to a hurting and dying world. Right now, we can extend mercy to families. We can extend mercy to people and we can show grace to one another. We can be, a, we can be gracious people. We can give unmerited favor, unmerited. People can, can, we can treat people in a way they don't deserve. We can treat people with unmerited favor. And we that are bearing this burden of the throne, whew, listen to me, the cherubims, mercy and grace would spread those wings and that throne of grace would settle down. They would bear the throne of God. It takes grace to bear the throne. It takes grace to bear the ministry. That's why I mentioned to you the Ark of the Covenant, they believe weighed a thousand pounds or more. And so when the Levites would put their shoulder under that pole in the Talmud, the historical writings of the Jewish community, they say and they believe that those Levites were given supernatural assistance to bear that. And that's a symbol to you and I, a lesson to teach us that you can't bear the ministry on your own. You can't bear this load on your own. I'll be honest with you. 
last year and this year, there have been times when my knees would start to buckle and trying to bear the load of my family, my church, my city. To bear this load, there were times you feel like you're going to buckle. There have been times I said, Father, I don't think I can go any further. I can't go anymore. And suddenly there's a grace to bear the load of that presence of that ministry, of that anointing, of what God's called you to do. I say to all the healthcare workers on this room and online, there, I release the grace of God to you to bear the load that you've got to bear. Those on the front lines of this battle that are, that are putting themselves, their health, and the health of their families at risk every day to take care of you and me and our family members. The grace of God be upon you to bear that load. I'm telling you there's mercy and grace in the house of God and we've got to quit hoarding it up and we've got to share that with this world. Never look into this law without mercy and grace. It'll kill you. It'll kill those around you. Religion. More wars have been started over religion than anything else. It brings death. But Christ came to bring life. When we offer mercy to someone, I just wonder. When we offer mercy to someone, do we awaken grace within them? Uncommon ability. Think about that. When a drug addict comes on these altars, when the outcast of our society, when the broken, the bruised, when they come in here and they kneel here and we offer them mercy, we withhold from them what they deserve. Listen, the Bible says that where there's sin, there has to be death. We know that. There has to be. There's consequences for sin. But we're so appreciative that Jesus took that death for us so we don't have to die. But when they come in here and we offer them mercy and we offer them the love of God and compassion and pity, we offer them mercy. We withhold from society what they deserve and we give them mercy. Do we then awaken the grace of God that's within them? Do we awaken the grace of God, that unmerited favor and that uncommon ability where they get up and say, I can be more than what I am. I can go further than what I've gone. Do we do that? Are you hearing me? You see, when we give mercy to one another, does it awaken grace within people? When we show them mercy, when we're kind and compassionate to people, When we look at people and we say, listen, there's more to you than what I see. There's more to you. When we believe in people, will people rise to that belief? Listen, can we awaken grace within people where they say, I can do this. There's more to me than what I am now. I said it to you here a few weeks ago. Love will always tell the truth. The law. Love will always tell the truth. The law. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The law, but truth will always be spoken in love, mercy, and grace. Think about that. I still want to preach heaven is real and hell is hot, but I want to do it with mercy and grace. 
I want to do it with mercy and grace. I, I, I want to do it with mercy and grace. We don't hear much preaching anymore in hell. We don't do that. We don't do it. People don't talk about it. But there is a hell. There is a hell. And I tell you that because love will always tell a man the truth. Love will always tell a man the truth. I, I shared the story with you here a few weeks ago, and I preached that message about Brother Clendon. He had a vision one time in a time of fasting and prayer, and he saw a man running through what looked like liquid fire. And he'd reach down in the fire, and he'd pull a man up, and he'd look into his face, and he would, he would cuss and curse, and he would throw him away. And then he'd run and pull another one up and cuss and curse and throw him away. And Brother Clendon cried out and said, God, what are you showing me? He said, you're looking at a man in hell, looking for a preacher that lied to him. Listen, I don't want to be that preacher. So you hear me, heaven is real and hell is hot, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there are the guardians of mercy and grace. And it's not just the cherubims on the mercy seat. It's you and me. We are the guardians of mercy and grace. We're the ones that hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're the ones that tell them the good news of the gospel. We have to be the guardians of mercy and grace. We have to extend mercy to mankind and awaken the grace of God within them and say there's more to you than what you see. You're bigger on the inside than what I see on the outside. You're not a prostitute. You're a handmaiden of the Lord. You're not a drug addict or an alcoholic. You're a missionary. You're a teacher. You're a success. There's more to you than what you see. We must become the guardians of mercy and grace as we preach the good news of his gospel. Let me talk to you about God's throne of grace and his mercy seat. Verse 22 in our text. Number one, he said, there I will meet with you. Number two, he said, I'll speak to you. And number three, he said, I'm going to give you a word for the children of Israel. <laughs> I find that amazing, amazing. Number one, that God would meet with us. The word mercy seat in the Hebrew, it means cover over the sacred, the ark. Place of atonement where the blood would hit. And it's mercy seat word. It means when God sits down, he sees mankind through the optic of mercy. Do you understand? He can't help himself. That's why when people take his name in vain, I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about misrepresenting him, that he's an angry God, that he's an angry God. He's an angry God, mean God. I understand the whole teaching on oh, God is angry with sin every day. I get that. But I also know that he looks at mankind from the optic, through the optic of mercy. The mercy seat means seatward. Mercy seatward. Out of him comes mercy. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we put our faith in his blood, if we walk in obedience to his word, God is there with mercy for mankind. He's there with mercy. He will meet with us, he said. I will meet with you. The mercy seat is the point of intersection between God and man. Do you understand that? Do you understand? That's the intersection. 
where man meets God. Where man meets God. Listen, anytime in this service, when you sense his presence, you're at the intersection of mercy. When he steps in this room, that's an act of mercy. When he meets with you and I, that's an act of mercy. When he comes in this room, he's not rejecting us, but he's receiving us. The intersection of mercy is where man meets God at the mercy seat. He said to Israel, there, I'll meet with you. It's there. He didn't say at the altar. He didn't say at the laver. He didn't say at the lampstand where the candle, the, the, the lampstand where the, the firewood was that represents the Holy Spirit. He didn't say at the table of showbread where we take communion. He said, at the mercy seat, I will meet you there. It's there that you'll find me. The intersection of mercy is where man meets God. We need to realize how merciful he is. You sitting there right now, you're not even conscious of it, but you're breathing, and that is an act of mercy. Breath, life is a gift. Every day when you're breathing, that's a, that's a gift of mercy. God is merciful. I want you to see this in this verse 22, how powerful this is. He said, I will meet with you. Number two, he said, I will speak to you. Do you understand? And I say this especially to the, to the men. As I've taught you, women are intuitive. Men lean towards intelligence. Women are sensitive. Men lean, lean towards strength. But I want the men to hear me. You know that God loves you. I know you know that. But the problem is, do you understand that he likes you and that he speaks your language? You see, men oftentimes, they believe that their dad, their earthly dad loved them, but they didn't know if he liked them because how harsh he was. And they transfer that to their heavenly father. So we think God loves us. I just don't think God likes me. And he speaks to my wife, but he don't speak to me. But that's a lie. God loves you and God likes you and he speaks your language. That means that he'll talk to you in a way that you'll understand. I don't care if you're a CEO of a corporation, if you're a director at a, at a bank, I don't care if you own your own business, I don't care if you work in construction, I don't care if you work in the refineries, I don't care if you're a theologian, I don't care what you are and what you do, God will speak your language where you can understand him. He speaks to us. Do you understand that's mercy? I don't deserve for God to come into my sanctuary. I don't deserve for God to speak to me. But he does it because of mercy. Number three, he said, I will give you a word for the nation. I've said it to you before that the real miracle of Pentecost is not that I speak in tongues or prophesy. The real miracle for me is that God gives me something to say. That God has chosen to make me his, his mouthpiece, his voice. That I can speak in tongues, that I can prophesy, I can give a word of knowledge. This is the miracle that God has chosen to use us. Do we understand that? That that is an act of mercy. God has chosen to use us because of his son, because of the blood. He's chosen to use us. The real miracle. God wants to use us. He said, I will come meet with you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. Many men in this room and on, online, you, your dad never spoke to you. Your, your dad never talked to you. Men and that generation 
were not real transparent. They were not real verbal. They were not very affirming. And so they didn't speak to their kids. They loved them, but they just didn't speak. And so men grew up with a father that had no mouth. And so they come into the church and they see a God that has no mouth. God doesn't speak to me. He speaks to my wife, but he doesn't speak to me. But that's the real miracle that he does. He will speak to you. If you'll just sit down long enough to listen, if you'll just get up early or stay up late and get you a cup of coffee and sit down and just say, Father, would you talk to me? I promise you, he'll meet you, he'll talk to you, and he'll give you a word for your family. He'll do it. He'll do it. I mentioned to you earlier about going into part two of peace of mind. But while in prayer, feeling Holy Spirit prompting me to go in this direction. Yesterday, I called FEMA to check on her and Butch because they've been fighting the COVID-19 and now they're doing good and they're getting stronger. But she asked me, and I, sometimes I can hide it. Sometimes I can hide it. But she asked me, Pastor, how are you doing? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm I'm worried about the, the church. I'm worried about the city. And, you know, I just feel, and she heard it in my voice. She heard it. And so she just started praying and just, just started declaring over me and just praying over her pastor. And she started, she started talking to the father like I wasn't even there. I'm third party. She's talking to the father. Father, I'm praying for my pastor right now. And she starts praying for me and she releases this word. And I don't know if she realized she said it, but she said, Father, I release over my pastor the fire of grace. So I knew, I know I'm going in the right direction, okay? I know I am. Hebrews 4.16. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. That's one of the most powerful words you're going to get this week. That we can come freely and boldly before him where love is enthroned. See, when we, when we think of the throne, throne room, when we think of the throne of heaven, we think of the throne of God... There is a, a reverent fear that comes over us, and rightfully so. We think of humility and honor, and rightfully so. We come before him, and we bow before him, and rightfully so. But I want you to understand that that's where love is enthroned. That, that's where love is enthroned. Do, do you understand that? That's where love is enthroned. You, you need to know that. That's where love is. God is love. John said, that's where love is enthroned. And that's why you can come freely and boldly before him. And then he said, we need to do this so that mercy will reach down and kiss us. And the father will reach out and he'll take us up in his lap and, he, and he, he'll kiss us on the cheek. And it's mercy. It's like with Esther. She comes in before the king to plead for her people. She knows, she knows she has no right to be there. And she knows if he doesn't extend that scepter towards her, she's going to die. But she puts everything on the line. And she comes in there. 
and she approaches the king. And the king looks and hesitates, I'm sure, and thinks, and then he reaches for that scepter, and he extends it, and he gives her mercy. Do you understand that when we come before him, I understand we don't, we don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve to be there. I, I remember the story of, of, of the, the, the conquest of Napoleon, the military general, the conquest of Napoleon, and how that one of his men was, was charged with, with uh, uh, f- uh, fleeing in the face of the enemy. He was charged with being a coward. And so he's brought before Napoleon to be judged. He's a coward, and, and they're going to they're gonna execute him. And the mother comes before him, and she pleads with Napoleon and says, I'm asking you, please don't kill my son. He said, but he's guilty. She says, I know he is. That's why I'm asking you for mercy. Mercy. So we come before him. We know we're guilty. But we come before him, and we're asking him to extend his scepter and show us mercy. But we've got to realize that that is where love is enthroned. And he receives us. And he reaches down and he kisses us with mercy. Mercy. And then he gives us grace. Uncommon ability to do what we need to do in these times of weakness. Put the, put the Hebrews 4 and 16 back on the screen. We come freely and boldly where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace that we need. Mercy to stay the plague. Now, this is what I want you to hear. We're going we're to shut this down. Mercy to stay the plague. Mercy. Praying, Father, would you show mercy Would you show mercy right now? Mercy. Mercy over our church. Mercy over Beaumont. Mercy over America. Would you show mercy, Father? There's so much sin in the country. We know that. So much sin. But we're pleading for mercy. We know we're guilty. But we're we're asking for mercy. That's why we ask for mercy. Mercy, kiss, kiss us with mercy, and then grace to endure, to endure the times that we're living in, to endure. Mercy's kiss. Look at James, James chapter 2, verse 13. Remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. The church has to be the one that prays for mercy, and we take dominion over judgment. We take dominion over it. Number two, we need to pray for the fire of grace, or what we've always said, grace under fire. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds it full expression through your weakness. Understand that this is the time for the church to be guardians of mercy and grace. I've been praying, Father, I'm asking you for mercy. And I'm asking you to stay the plague. Father, I'm asking you for grace. So we can operate 
with grace under fire. Give us that uncommon ability. I'm hearing from people, as I mentioned last night, I got a phone call from a, a, a physician who said, Pastor, I'm so tired. He needs the grace of God. Our healthcare workers need the grace of God. Our first responders, our EMS, our firefighters, our police officers, they need the grace of God. They need the grace. And we are the church, the guardians of mercy and grace. And we are the ones that can ask God for mercy and we can extend grace to these people that God will help them. Stephen, come help me. From his throne of authority and his seat of decision, God offers grace and mercy. Now listen, from his throne of authority, because throne in the Bible speaks of authority. From that throne of authority, there's grace. And from that seat, a seat is, speaks of position and, and decision. That seat of mercy from that seat of decision, he offers mercy. He said to Israel, when they finished the tabernacle, they got everything in place, he said, I'll meet you there at the mercy seat. And those, those cherubims would extend mercy and grace. The priest would come in and sprinkle the blood and the throne of grace would come down on that mercy seat. And from there, God would judge Israel. He would withhold from them what they deserved and he would give to them what they could never earn mercy and grace and now like the cherubims on the mercy seat we are the guardians of mercy and grace we are the ones that have to intercede for our nation we have to pray for mercy we have to ask God to give us the grace so that we can endure during these difficult times and I want to give you a hook okay I'm gonna give you a hook will you give me just a minute I'm, I'm five minutes over Will you give me just a couple more minutes? There's no place to go. There's nothing to do. Just, where are you going to go? Just hold on. Listen. Here, a couple of weeks ago, Charmaine shared something with me that I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't know about it. It was a conference call where some people were together talking about the nation, where the nation is, what do we do, how do we approach this? And then the leader said, look, let's do this. Let's finish out by everybody praying. And one of the men, Clay Nash, who I don't know, he's good friends with Dutch, but I don't know him. I asked Brother Kilpatrick about him. He says, I've heard of him, but I don't know him. But Clay Nash began to pray. He began to pray out loud. And I was shocked at what came out of his mouth because I don't know the man and he don't know you. Listen to this word uh, from Clay Nash, if you would. Clay, I'm hearing the Lord say tonight, there's a rebirthing of Beaumont. A rebirthing of Beaumont. And I just hear the Lord saying that uh, a city that uh, has, 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 has lost its glow, has lost its light, is going to begin to get the light back. And God's rebirthing Beaumont. I see that Beaumont is going to begin to grow again. It's going to begin to uh, come into a place of being uh, one of the great lights of Texas, one of the fair cities of Texas. And it's going to do this because of the awakening and the revival that God is beginning to release in Beaumont, Texas. I even see as these fires of revival uh, beginning, to, beginning to catch all over that city, that it's going to go from denomination to denomination uh, in, in, these, in, these, in these church buildings. I even see there's a place there that's called a cathedral that revival is going to begin to break out in as well. 
and I see people taking the signs off their buildings and laying them on the street corners. And as they lay them on the curb, as they lay them on the curb, they're saying we no longer identify with this group. We're going to start identifying with the body. And as this begins to happen, there are going to be people that are going to begin to move into Beaumont. And things that have been capped over, I just hear that, hear it said that way, things that have been capped over, they're going to begin to be uncapped again, and they're going to begin to bring about great wealth in that city of Beaumont again. I even see as these, these fires of revival begin to burn across that city that there are going to be people beginning to move out of Houston into Beaumont and out of Louisiana back into Beaumont just because of the fires of revival that's rebirthing Beaumont. So, Father, we pray into Beaumont today and we declare... Beaumont, be rebirthed in Jesus' name. Come into what God has said that you would be, even over Beaumont, the prophetic words that have been there over you and spoken into you. And for those that have been contending for Beaumont's resurrection, I decree, Beaumont, you are coming out of the grave. You're coming out of the place of death. You're coming out of the place of being driven by crime. You're coming out of a place that people are wanting to exit you to a place that people are going to want to enter you. So, Father, we just decree fires of revival burn in and out of Beaumont, Texas, to bring that city into its prophetic destiny in Jesus' name. I wanted you to hear that again for a reason. Here's the hook. Daniel chapter 9, verse 17, 18, and 19. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. For his name's sake, he put his name on this city through Clay Nash. I didn't do that. He put his name on Beaumont. He put his name on this church. For his name's sake, we ask for mercy and grace. There's the hook. Father, I'm asking you show mercy and grace to Beaumont because you said that you were going to awaken this city. You said that it's coming out of the grave. You said people are gonna start moving in instead of moving out. You said, I didn't say it. So Father, for your name's sake, that's why Moses, when God said, I'm going to kill every one of them, speaking of Israel, Moses stepped up and says, whoa, you can't do that. If you do that, it's going to be a bad reflection on you. It's going to say you brought them out of Egypt and you couldn't take care of them in the wilderness and you killed all of them. Listen, it's for his name's sake. It's for his glory. 
God has reached down and has identified with this church and with this city. And so for his name's sake, I pray, Father, give us mercy. Give us grace for your name's sake. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.